Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. And welcome back, Chillbags. My name is Hoss, and with me, as usual, I'm joined by the absolutely marvellous Danny Wells and the forever not listening Michael Phelps. How are you guys? <laughs> what a day. What did you say? Ah, behave. <laughs> okay, so after... Really exciting tonight, that's right. Oh, God. <laughs> after a rather serious live episode, and what an awesome it was, the live stream was amazing this week. Um, yeah. We couldn't drink, obviously, because of the um, the nature of the topic. But oh my god! Oh, oh. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Did you just fart? Are you having a beer? I am. I'm not. Yeah, I'm really? Yeah. Our guest is too important for me to get drunk tonight. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> right, then, so that that. <laughs> I just realised what happened there. Uh, <laughs> crying out loud. Oh, then he dropped. <laughs> okay, so before we get the guest on, anything you want to add in or? Yeah. Uh, well, go on, Danny. No, um, no, um, no, I think Phelps should go because I know, I know damn well Phelps is absolutely buzzing to yeah. talk for about three minutes without taking a breath. So go on, Phelps. I'm really, really excited, but I'm also disappointed because, like, the guest tonight is, like, basically best pals with my long-last granddad. And um, we've had him on the show before, and I was expecting him to sort of, like, you know, give him the nudge. And, um, no. Nothing yet. Nothing yet. I mean, he's fucking, you know, he's, he's... He's going down to sea's boat today, which is fair enough. But I just thought he might have sacked that off to come and join his best you. mate on the uh, on on the show. I know. I, I think we should. Uh, I think we should have a word. Do you? Yeah. Okay. So on on that note, are you there, mate? Come on. <laughs> uh, I, I I I'm just a taxi driver. I, I was in the foyer. <laughs> Pointed <laughs> in here to the studio, but I, uh, uh, I, yes, I'm him. Yes, hello. I don't no, yes. speak English. I know all about the Attenborough. Yes, Richard Attenborough, very nice man. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show, Rob. How are you? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Lovely to be back. That's good. It's good. I believe you're our um, second person we've had back on. 
Uh, we, oh. we had Mr. Clemens. He's been on twice. Oh. Um, and he should find... Three, time, three times, technically. Oh. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, like, it's very lovely to be back. Thank, thank you for the repeat invitation. I'll, I'll try and entertain you all. Well, I think if you remember the first time you come on, we got that excited talking about your adventures with David <laughs> Attenborough. Uh, we didn't get to talk about, about a lot about your collection, which about I think reptiles should... and things, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've got a trigger word that we I'm actually I want to mention it now, okay. and I hope that Rob, you seethe throughout talking about your collection, and then you explode right at the end like a good happy ending. Okay, <laughs> okay I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll, okay, I'll so that that. Cl- Keyword is people moaning about young people trying to do something about the environment. Well, that was like fourteen words. Yeah, I'm yeah. not very good at counting, right? Which, but I... which one of those is the trigger word again? Yeah, which one? People. People. <laughs> yeah, that gets okay. me too. Yeah. Okay. Yes, about the environment and all those. Um, you know, is that young girl who's doing really well? You know, doing a lot of pushing. You know, trying to get people to be more green, um, yeah. and then generic old not actually not old some of them are young just people being horrible and just slandering her for her good work and i think we should talk about that later because i know you're very uh well you do a lot with uh global warming and recycling and that kind of thing and being yeah uh, absolutely yeah. so see the way get really angry and explode at the end please i will see what i can do i'll try i'll try and sort of get up to speed and in the end there'll be a small thermonuclear blast out of my anus possibly but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> that might just be the if you can if you could manage to if you could manage to implode, that'd be okay. even better. <laughs> well, if, if you do have a an explosion of yeah. that kind of gratitude, um, I have got some either pseudocreme or pile cream that you could possibly borrow thank if you, it does get you very too much. sore. That'd be lovely. Well, to be honest, I've still got Dave's anusol from last week actually, so I can use that. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. <laughs> he's he's loosened up thoroughly, so we all know he doesn't need it anymore. Well, I was going to say, because he was in Ham last weekend, actually, with a mate of mine, and I think they shared a room, so probably he's very smart oh, he's these days. Absolutely rogered. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mate or Dave. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 2019, you're going to take turns. Both very giving gentlemen, no doubt. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Rob, I mean, you like to go over to Ham. Um, you didn't get to go over this time. I didn't know it was, it was crumbs. I've been going to Ham since the 90s, since when crumbs. It started nearly, what, nearly 30 years ago. And I first started going middle to end of the 90s. And I've, I've gone pretty much twice a year, every year since. But sometimes work stops me from going if I'm abroad. But last weekend, it was my son's birthday. Weekend before last, it was my son's birthday. So I couldn't really go on his birthday. So I had to do no. the right thing by, by everyone here. Mm-hmm. Uh, see what you what you should have done is dragged your son to ham. <laughs> in time he might cut, yeah he might in time he might because he's really into his beasties and racing around doing boy stuff. But um, yeah, he was a bit preoccupied with having parties and uh, going mm-hmm. go karting and stuff. Oh, so doing, uh, yeah, doing children priorities. type activities. We were. Ooh. I was, I was be, being being daddy for the weekend, so yeah, I could, couldn't really go <laughs> oh, to ham for a change. I admire you, Rob. Oh, I, I, you. Unfortunately. I made Billy come to uh, to Donny on his birthday. Oh no way! <laughs> and do you know what? I didn't make him. Yeah. Uh, he actually wanted to come. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. I think in time, <laughs> I think in time he probably will, and my daughter as well will probably all go just for the sake of seeing it all and just seeing the yeah. the diversity of it all. But no, they're a bit, bit little at the minute. So, uh, but we'll give it time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So obviously, I'm guessing there are going to be some listeners that don't know who you are. Um, haven't heard of the other show, and shame on you, you should be listening to the whole back catalogue of Reptile and Chill. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you haven't 
listen to that episode, pause, go all the way back, listen to that, and then come back to this one, because I think some of the things that we talk about this evening might not make too much sense. Um, but for just a quick recap, who are you and what do you do, mate? Hello, uh, my name's Rob Pilly. I'm a zoologist. Uh, I also am a, a wildlife TV producer for BBC One. Uh, and we make a series uh, called the Spy in the What the Spy in the series, and uh, in which we use remote cameras disguised as rocks, logs, and recently animatronic animals to film a whole array of animals in the world. Um, we had a Spy in the Wild was on a couple of years ago. We're currently cutting the second series. It'll be on early next year, probably January, February on BBC One, and uh, I've been doing that now for crumbs 18, 19 years. Uh, and then aside from that, I do I do my own wildlife uh, shows for children uh, that I put on Facebook, I put on YouTube, started doing stuff on Instagram, and I've called that Rob's Wild Adventures, in which I take my own kids, or quite often it's me by myself, out in the field in foreign countries, but a lot of the stuff I do here is in Britain as well. Um, and I take you, the viewer, um, out wherever I go. It's all totally live, totally spontaneous, utterly improvised. It's just me with the cameras dealing with slow worms, snakes, um, centipedes, spiders, or anything else that begins with S, apart from centipede, mm-hmm. because that begins with C. Anyway, you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> but Rob, I mean, just touching on that, mate, and you've got to be super proud of your kids. We know you're a massive family man. Um, but, you know, Rob's World Adventures, I've absolutely love it i think it gives out an absolutely fantastic uh fantastic message uh we know you're passionate about getting kids out there and interested in sort of like natural history but you know you've got to be super proud of your kids i saw a video that your daughter had made all by herself the other day and uh she a chip off the old block mate oh thank you very much yeah it was it was great because she she just out of the, out of the blue she just said oh daddy i filmed some stuff I was like, oh, brilliant, let's have a look. And we, and sure enough, she'd filmed just random stuff in the garden, just just doing like I do. And my son had done the same as well. He'd taken a camera into the greenhouse and uh, he was just filming various bits and chatting away. And then he saw a fire salamander. And he was so, he was like, well, I really hope we see some fire salamanders. And then bam, all of a sudden he sees one. And it's just, oh, that's brilliant. And it's it's lovely, his natural reactions and things, his enthusiasm. And it's and that's ultimately what I'm trying to drive with Rob's Wild Adventures is yeah. to, st- you know, get children going. You know, kids are naturally interested in stuff. And uh, I find so many children these days, probably because their parents aren't that, aren't that fussed about them or they might actually be mm-hmm. scared or they might not know themselves, um, they don't really get the inspiration from the wild. And so what I'm trying to do is say, look, literally on your doorstep, if you look under bits of rock under your own doormat you will find really cool things so put your playstation away stop yeah. fiddling around on your laptop or whatever get outside and have a real adventure definitely yeah. i actually saw um, a video on facebook a couple of days ago and it was a it was a toddler probably i don't know a year 18 months old you know that kind of age range yeah. and there was a quite a large house spider um <laughs> on the child's arm running up mm. and down now, most parents would absolutely just cause mayhem, scream, mm. grab the spider, smack it 17 times with the newspaper, napalm, and, you know, yada, yada. What the bloke actually did was to encourage, oh, you've got a friend? Okay, cool. Oh, he's on your arm. Oh, he's gone into your belly. Oh, he's your friend. Oh, he likes you. He does. Oh, he's gone on your bum. And, yeah. you know, and the kid was loving it. And then the, the spider then went onto the floor, and I crawled off nicely onto the floor. And then the kid turned around and went, bye-bye, spider. That is so cool. You know what I mean? And I was just like, if I can even achieve something slightly like that, then I've achieved being the best dad in the world. 
that is <laughs> that is a one a wonderful wonderful thing to do because at the end of the day the child is in, inherently not very scared of these things and so the fact that parents are obviously reinforcing that by saying oh isn't it lovely every isn't it cool that is such a wonderful way to be and let's hope that little child carries on as they get older and uh, is is brave and bold and gets their friends doing it as well really I've got to be honest, Rob, you did uh, uh, one of your little Rob's World Adventures all about the house spider, um, and I used the information you put out on that video. I've probably used it five times now in different, different. Uh, you know, whether it's, I, I do a lot of wildlife uh, photography, whether, you know, it's in that where somebody had taken a photo and then started going, oh, my God, get it out of the house, kill it. And I actually used the information that you gave me saying, you know, this is the last time that, you know, this this male house spider's left its web, you know, it's going to try and find a female, and it's going to die after that. So mm. please let it just have its wicked way once. Yeah, that's, that's the one, the wonderful thing, and, it's, and what I try and do with the Wild Adventures is they're totally reactive, is that on a daily basis I'll see a slug going up a bit of glass, or I'll see an earthworm on the drive, or in that case it was a spider walking across the floor, and it's, yeah, these things are happening to everybody right this very moment, and so to just explain and explain the fact they don't have to be scared of these things is that I know you're scared of this big gangly beast running across the floor and why is it that they always turn up at this time of year why is it they're always in my house this time of year and just to spin it around and show people that they're there for re a really good reason a really really sad reason in fact and so they're actually far more terrified of you and they, they they're just in there by coincidence they don't want to be in your living room they're just there by mistake. They've literally made a wrong turn trying to find their lady. And so give him a hand, you know. Don't, don't I know it's scary, but really feel sorry for him. These are literally his last legs, all eight of them. Do you, do you reckon that the spider knows that he's, like, ticking time bomb? Um, I think there's probably an element of desperation, because if you actually look, the form... The physical form of a male spider when they're mature is totally different to when they're younger. When they're younger, they look just like a normal spider in terms of shape. But when the males become that adult, that final molt, and they, they shed out and they've got their final form, they've got relatively small thorax and abdomen, but very long gangly legs. Of course, they've got their enlarged palps at the front for, the, for containing the sperm. So their form has changed. So all of a sudden, they've gone from being couch potato spider to suddenly they're like, um, you know, a long distance runner. <laughs> not, not so much an Adonis, but they literally are a walking machine. They've got a tiny, tiny body. They've got very few fat reserves and they've just got these massive muscles in their legs. They're purely a walking machine and wow. they don't really feed at that stage as well. Once they've left their nest or once they've left their web, they're not feeding or anything. So suddenly they are, they are like a ticking time bomb. And I'm sure probably is an element of fear and oh god today's the day today's the day oh it's not our splat so <laughs> you know it's i i imagine there probably is this certain element of urgency about them it's mad really because like i hope you know people listening on to, uh, listening to this now do pass that on to their mm. you know friends and family and whatnot because like that's something that i wasn't really aware until you pointed it out um, you know, you see them, and they're in there, you know, there's a spider there, and you walk around the corner, there's another spider there, then you you go into your car, and the cheeky little bugger's managed to get into your car, and he's there and all, and, you know, and you're thinking, like, this is an annoyance, this is, they're bloody everywhere. Mm. But if I was to remove them and do something stupid with them, which we don't condone at all, um, that does have an effect on our environment. You know, they, they, they eat the flies, and, they, you know, which really pissed Danny off. Um, you know, so to Dan Danny, all of your neighbours, obviously, they, they um, do things to spiders. They must do, because there's that many flies around your house. 
<laughs> I um yeah that 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 makes me seethe. But, um, <laughs> I it's really weird as well because you know flies flies are annoying at the at the at the best of times. But we seem to have with with I'm I'm going to name it. This name's uh, Neil. Um, we seen this it's probably about seven inches long. This fly, um, and <laughs> it sounds sounds like a chinook. Um, and uh, he, he just keeps coming back day after day after day, and he just d- does not like. I covered um, a big bowl of pasta that I'd made the other day, and he went, "Ah, fuck that!" Ripped it off. Ripped the cover off. Yeah, just <laughs> threw it on the floor, didn't he? And just munched it. Absolutely, he's an absolute tank. I don't know where he came from, but Neil, well, get you, in the sea. You need a Goliath bird eating spider to deal with Neil. I think, I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. I start keeping <laughs> fuck spiders. I'm going to start keeping rough greens. <laughs> uh, Rob, one thing I wanted to let the listeners do you, do you know. Say, you say about rough greens. Have you ever kept rough greens? No, I would love to. They're they're beautiful, but they're an absolute pain in the bum to feed because they they mm-hmm. are in the in the wild. I've seen them in the wild in Florida, and mm-hmm. they they only really feed on certain caterpillars. There, there's this sort of story. Every time you see them for sale, it's like they're a cricket feeder. They're not a cricket mm-hmm. feeder. No. They, they feed they feed on caterpillars and eat, mm-hmm. not even waxworms. They they're a bit of a pain to be honest um, yeah. because they you know they don't tend to do very well unfortunately to be honest i think i think that's probably the main reason you don't actually see yeah. a lot of people keeping them yeah. although i do see a lot in shops yeah, i do, do tend to see a lot in shops but i they, go back the next week they're gone they come out they come out of florida as, as wild courts and then they they're sometimes sold as captive breads as well in reality it's just wild caught gravids that have come in and dropped the eggs and then the babies have been hatched mm-hmm. but then again the baby's trying to get the babies feeding as well because well again they're not they're not captive bred at all they you know captive hatched but mm-hmm. they still the blooming things still don't feed they're they're a right pain in the backside so i i don't keep rough greens anymore no. but i, I do it's have a real lots. shame really because mm-hmm. to to me personally if you if you can't get you if you can't readily get food for an animal yeah. it really shouldn't it doesn't belong in the hobby in no opinion. no well, well, it's like um, you know you know philothamnus the uh, the green bush mm-hmm. snakes they're the same yeah. they're, they're a lizard and frog feeder and mm-hmm. you see them, and, and unfortunately, it's a bit like rough greens. They're a very attractive, very placid snake, beautiful mm-hmm. green things, yep. move around mm-hmm. in your fingers. They live in a lovely, you know, you get a nice bib and it's full of plants and it looks like a wonderful mm-hmm. bit of rainforest. Mm-hmm. But again, Philothamnus, they're a frog, they're a frog or a lizard feeder. They're mm-hmm. generally easy to get from Africa as well, and they're cheaply obtained and they're exported cheaply too. So, mm-hmm. of course, people ship them because they know they're going to sell them. But when it yep. comes to it, no one, no one can feed them. Definitely. No. It's, it's um, a real shame. It's actually quite, um, quite refreshing to hear that as well, obviously, to point that out. Um, so something that I've started doing recently is I've started to do a little bit of writing uh, for mm. a, a blog. Um, and I'm not going to read the entire thing out because we'll be here for the next four hours because I've stuttered like a complete mess. Um, <laughs> but it's basically about what defines a good keeper. Um, now that's a really, really difficult thing to ask. Depends on who you're asking it to and what your morals are and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm just going to read out a little bit of that. So for me, a good keeper is very simple. Someone who puts the needs of their animal first, whose husbandry is based upon what the animal needs to thrive rather than the limitations our lives control, what we can do. So but basically, if you've got Frank the bow constrictor and you want to keep Frank, that's great, buy him. 
But if you can't provide a suitable enclosure where you can move freely, have a thermogradient, access to full-spectrum lighting, which his ancestors actually had in the great outdoors, that you need to be able to feel safe and secure away from human interaction. If you can't provide all of these things, then don't keep Frank. Don't, don't don't have it, you know. Yeah. You know. Obviously, when we buy animals in the short term, we quarantine. We may still be getting the enclosures together and that kind of thing. So on the short term, you could probably argue it. However, before taking any animal on, we should be doing our research. We should be taking our time, and we should have already had that that you know that large permanent enclosure already ready before we have the animal because we should be thinking. Um, and going back to the, the rough greens, if we can't provide what they need then we probably shouldn't be keeping them or we should be looking looking into what we can do to give them what they need i totally totally agree with you personally with regard to my own animals and i've been doing this for many years now and uh, there's still many many species out there which i desire to keep myself but i say say one word in their desire We've, we all have these desires to do these things, but then I've got my own sort of moral thoughts with regard to, yeah, you may wish to have that thing, but can you do the right thing by it? Which is exactly as you've just said. And what I've, once I've sort of gone through my own personal checklist with regard to, can I give it all its needs, this, that, and the other, like you've just described, I then give myself two years, a two-year window with the animal, or sort of animals, sorry. I, I never buy anything by its own. It's always in... Usually, whenever I buy endeavour on a new species, I usually start off with at least six, knowing that right, okay, um, six is going to. If they're youngsters, it's hopefully going to give me a mix mix of sexes. Or if they're older and I can sex them, then ideally it's two point four or three point three. Ideally, as many unrelated as I can do it, because I just see it that look. If I'm doing this seriously and taking it seriously, which which I am, then I've got to be able to do the right thing by them. And I might have to be the only person at this rate who's got these animals because in the future, yeah. the, the imports might stop. And so there might not be any around. So I've got to do the right thing in, in the first place. So I always start off with ideally usually four, if not six or more. Some species, I've got 20. But um, in, in most cases, it's at least six. I then give myself two years or two years upon the animals becoming mature. If they've then not bred successfully and they're not self-sustaining, then no matter how much I love them, no matter how beautiful I think they are, I get rid of them. Mm -hmm. The reason being is I look at it and I think, right, you may admire them, you may love them for what they are, but clearly these animals are mature now and you're not doing something right if they've not bred yet. Now, you may have tried, you know, lighting temp temperature gradients, changes in conditions, food, whatever, all of these things. Once you've tried all those things and it's still not working, clearly I can't do the right thing and I, I get rid of them. And it's and a Rob, real... I, mm. I know that you sort of like really think outside of the box and just going back to what sort of like what Huss said about, you know, providing and, and giving them what you want they need, especially when it comes to food. I mean, Rob, I've seen you going around with the kids in the garden with a little battery powered vacuum and vacuuming up ants, you know, yeah, and, and, and for me, that's brilliant because you're going above and beyond. Thank you. Well, that, that's it. Again, it, it comes down to there's only so many things you can supplement or so many things you can do artificially. As you, as you may have seen on, on my videos, like when we're out in the garden and uh, you've got I've got essentially three sections to the animals. There's the outdoor enclosures, which are animals which are raised outside 12 months of the year. They never come in fully exposed to the natural conditions, ultraviolet light, rain, wind, the whole shebang. They live outside and they live as wild. They breed as wild and they they breed like crazy, to be honest. And then you've got the stuff in the greenhouse. The greenhouse is like an intermediate. Um, it's made out of UV transmitting acrylic. All mesh cages or open top cages in there. And again, there that's for the species which are slightly more 
so more not not tropical but more sort of more mediterranean sort of warm temperate and again those animals live out there 12 months of the year they never come inside and again there's no sup there's no artificial lighting heating or anything it's pure natural sunlight and and misting um, and nice. then then we've got the hot house which is the the shed which i i sort of not didn't build the structure from scratch but I insulated and did it all myself um, and again that's all it's got as many windows in it as possible to let the light in. Um, and then it's all, you know, T5 lighting or spot bulbs or mercury vapor lamps and things. Maximum light, maximum UV in there. What are you, a, Another yardstick that I use in there is, uh, is plants. Plants, are they've got very simple needs, very basic needs in terms of moisture and light quality. And uh, I think, right, if you can't grow plants, you can't grow animals because animals are a lot more complicated and sensitive in their needs than plants are and so as much as people you know they deck their vibs out with artificial plants and things that's that's great but at the end of the day the animal isn't looking at them as plants they're just looking at them as structures to climb about on i just figure stick real plants in there i appreciate some animals like iguanas or monitors they destroy it and mm-hmm. so plants aren't very practical. But when it comes to smaller species, in, in a good volume vivarium as well, or enclosure, if you can have if you can have decent real plants in there as well, if they start to throw, well, I quite often do that as well. I just have terrariums all set up just with lights and get the plants growing and the mosses and everything. If you've established that ecosystem and everything's growing beautifully plant-wise, then you've essentially create the biozone which is going to then allow the animals to grow as well hopefully if you're one of these people who sticks a load of plants in a viv within the space of a few weeks the plants are pegging it you've got to ask your questions why like mm-hmm. what's going on with these plants is it not light enough is it too hot and dry am i not watering them enough? all of these things all of these things which ultimately are going to feed back to the animals because if the plants are pegging it then more than likely your animals aren't doing very well either so mm-hmm. you, it's just something to be, it's a bit like a canary in a cage down a, down down a mine. Always watch that canary. And in this case, the canary is the plants. The plants are the key, I think. God, that's a, that's a really good way of looking at things. You know, yeah. I, I, I was thinking of then, whilst you were talking about that, Rob, about mm. people who keep like marine fish, you know, the amount of work that has to go into the aquarium yeah. and it has to be left and settled to make sure that everything, you know, you test it to make sure the pH levels, the salt's yeah. right. This, and if that, and if that coral isn't growing, it, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because again, these, these, these are relative, in the case of corals, relatively simple animals. And certainly in the case of plants, they're relatively simple cellular animals animals as well if you if you got them going then you know that you can take the step up you can suddenly go to Mm -hmm. vertebrate level you can have a snake in there or a lizard or whatever it may be but if you're not getting the basics right just for the plants then you've got to think flipping heck what's going wrong so but also you've got to get the right plants for the for the animal you know there's no point putting tropical plants in a bearded dragon's enclosure because it ain't going to work something's going to go and miss there can Mm -hmm. i can I just really quickly touch on something you just said just a couple of minutes ago and just expand yeah, on course. it a little bit. You said that you um, you obviously like to breed, you know, sort of buy six animals and like to breed them because there could be a possibility of in the future it might not be on the import list anymore, which does happen. Um, you know, we've all seen it happen. Um, do you agree if I was to say that s- s- certainly with the more common species, um, do you think that actually the whole idea of breeding and, and not everybody has to breed. I've always, you know, said that you breed if you want, don't breed if you want. Um, but do you, do you agree that the whole reason for breeding in captivity is, is actually to stop the imports? We, we, we don't, we don't want the, the more common animals imported all the time. They, 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 they can stay in the wild. It's a, it's an interesting question that because I, I love, 
I, as a sort of an enthusiast, but also a biologist as well, I look at an animal, any individual animal, as um, it's um, it's it's there to grow, it's there to thrive, then ultimately it's there to breed. And so my mm-hmm. aim would always be to sort of allow the animal to flourish and ultimately mm-hmm. breed in order to express its full sort of range of um, characteristics almost. So I mm-hmm. always aim to breed, uh, mm-hmm. but I also I totally get the fact that people, sometimes they just want a pet beardy or something like that. That's That's mm-hmm. absolutely fine as well. Um, to stop imports would be an ideal situation. Um, there are, you know, like, for example, like leopard geckos, bearded dragons, corn snakes, all, all of the very commonly seen species mm-hmm, in captivity. Mm-hmm. They're solely captive bred. You know, mm-hmm. there is no need for imports of those anymore. We're way past yep. that. That's the um, idea. That, that's, yeah. that's where we should be. Any, anything that is anything that we're able to keep in captivity and, and keep alive which yes, is yeah. the, the, the weird one is, is tokyo geckos yeah. tokyo geckos, geckos are getting imported left right and center we can mm-hmm. breed them yeah yeah they're fairly easy to but relatively the, the, easy the, to breed the problem is with to- like tokyo's for example and you see you could say the same with green animals rough green snakes bush snakes out of africa is or like even iguanas back in the day is that they were import? The reason they were imported is because they're desirable. You know, they're very pretty looking. They're exotic looking as well. But most importantly, to the exporter and the importer, they are cheap as chips. Do you think? They're- do you think this this could partly be? Um, and I'm I'm definitely not slating anyone or or, mm. or you know casting any stones or anything like that. But do you think that could possibly partly be the fault of shop owners because? It's far easier to buy an animal for a tenner and sell it on for 50 than it is to breed the animals. Yeah, if you've got a tank full of 50 tokes and you've paid mm-hmm. five do- you've paid five bucks each for mm-hmm. the trade, for example, and then your, your local chap comes along and says, I've bred a load of baby tokes, aren't they lovely? Um, and then the guy sticks them in his tank as well. And looking at it from the customer's perspective, they can have a little captive bread, because I've had this myself. Um, a little, mm-hmm. you, know, you can have a little captive bread one, but it's captive bread, so it's going to cost you 20 quid. Or you can have that big whopping one in the corner. You can have that for a tenner, and 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 because and, 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 it's what. And I've had that because I breed um, Felsu, um Grandis, the giant day gecko. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I I do really lovely high red ones, and they are unbelievably red. And mm-hmm. I've sell them for say thirty five, forty quid a baby, which is like yeah, it's not too expensive. That's but relatively also, cheap, yeah. Yeah, but then I, I had a chap who wanted to buy. He was going to buy some from me, and then he found some wild caught ones which weren't half as pretty, and mm-hmm. uh, but because they were bigger and they well because well, they were bigger and and they were the same price is a bit cheaper he wanted to buy them instead and it's like mm. well it's up to you mate but it, you're, you're buying you're, you're sort of seeing a bigger quantity there and these guys will be just as big as these ones in time mm-hmm. but he, he just he wanted instant results and i, we I think need, we, yeah we, we need people to understand that they're, they're coming from the wild and, mm. and if you if you have the chance to buy something captive bred do it mm. like this this is a message to everybody right now if, yeah. you, if you see if you see an animal in a shop and you have an inkling that it's wild caught, but you also have the opportunity to buy a captive bred one, buy the captive bred one. Definitely. Every, every time for me, every o- single time. O- honestly, you, you can't say that anymore, really, because it's just like, it's not just the case of the way it's going to grow or anything like that. It's that it will be, you won't have any parasites, it will be easy to feed, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Whereas a wild caught, you mm-hmm. don't know what it's bringing to your house, you no. don't know what it's been through in the process of getting to your house, yeah, you don't sure. know what you don't know what its life experiences no. as well. Because no, a, lot, a lot of wild courts, particularly adult wild courts, for example, when they come in, they've lived their lives mm-hmm. in the wild if they're arboreal for example they would have lived their lives at the tips of branches in a forest say and then suddenly they've been grabbed by a bloke with a bow and arrow shoved in a bag shoved in a box 
moved around mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks and then mm-hmm. shipped to you. They're now in a little tiny fish tank and you're looking at them going, oh, aren't they beautiful? All mm-hmm. that animal's doing is going bananas in its head. Animals mm-hmm. really suffer with mental health issues like people do. And if you're buying an adult wild caught of anything, honestly, on your head be it, because you're going to have mm-hmm. a whole like, hell, land of pain when you get that thing at home. And yeah, you'll never. Agreed. And as much as a lot of people are like, oh, I, I love it, I want to do the right thing by it. Right, if you love it and you want to do the right thing by it, don't buy it. Because mm-hmm. you cannot do anything. Stop that trade. Yeah. Exactly. Short of picking it up, taking it on an aeroplane and taking it back to Guinea or wherever it came from. <laughs> you yeah. cannot love it enough. You cannot understand it enough or what it's been through to make mm-hmm. it better. Just leave yeah. it alone. And you might 100%. you might think you've got something from one island and actually you, yeah. it, it might be from a different island. I know totally. in some species they just get grab boxed up and then they're sold as one. Oh, it's, it's, it's like a... Yeah, yeah, it's like a massive thing within the the the, the chondro world. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah totally. You yeah. know, it's a huge thing. Why 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 people don't say, or you know, it's it's a such and such anymore. They say mm. it's a certain type. Yeah. Because yeah. how you you have absolutely no idea that it's and actually a lot a lot of the time that. the name the name that's applied to them isn't where they were collected. That's just where mm-hmm. the holding station was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the right. the the arus, the Mirarukis and things like that. Mm-hmm. No, that's just where the bloke was who was mm-hmm. gathering them up for a hundred miles all around him. Yep. Yeah. That's just where he lived. And that's mm-hmm. just the name he applied to it. So it's yeah. and, and that's it. You've got you got to bear in mind as well when you're dealing with people who are either exporting or importing, is that they aren't scientists, they're not biologists, they're not zoologists. A lot of the time the guys who are doing the exporting, they're just businessmen. This yeah. is just a commodity to them. They don't care about the animals. They're often scared of them. When I've been in Africa and I've had people bring me chameleons and, uh, and they're absolutely terrified of them because they think they're poisonous. And they'll bring mm-hmm. them to me in, in um, like crisp packets and uh, or they'll, they'll have it on a stick and its legs hanging off. And it's like, oh, what happened to its leg? Oh, we had to hit it out the tree because we're not touching it. And uh, now we got it on this stick and it's poisonous and we don't want to touch it. And it's just, oh, flipping heck. But yeah. these are literally, these are the guys who present you with your animal that you see in the pet shop. You know, mm-hmm. if you met them in person, you wouldn't let them, you know, clean your car, let alone collect an animal for you that's very mm-hmm. delicate. And so they're, they're not professionals. They are just guys who go out to bag stuff because the bloke up the road said he'll give you two dollars for it. And he mm-hmm. feeds his family. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, yeah, and you yeah. can't you can't you know, you can't blame these guys. No. You know, they've been they've been offered. Look, we'll give you two bucks for every one of those lizards you bring in. Brilliant. That's two dollars for not doing anything, really. They'll mm-hmm. go and do it. But they're not skilled trappers necessarily. They're just guys with sticks or, you know, it's a, oh, goodness, I've had some awful experiences abroad with captive breeding farms and this, that and the other. But that's probably another podcast worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 that... personally, I, I personally would be more than happy um, to, to, you know, take the bullet and, and stop imports all mm. over you know i mean it mean i can't keep this i can't keep that yeah you know i can't keep such and such and all those amazing yeah, just, animals just before the hobby, just before I'd we do that. that can you give me like another 12 months to just get a few more different animals <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that's what again another yardstick because I'm, I'm always i'm always doing this sort of analogies and also yardsticks with friends of mine and stuff over the years and another thing i i would say about uh, another yardstick is um look at the countries that are exporting and then and look at the same time in Europe and in China or Japan, sorry, or in the States and seeing all of the so-called captive bred versions of those animals from that country being produced at that time. Like, for example, a couple of years ago when Tanzania was open, lots of people were captive breeding Tanzanian chameleons and geckos and this, that and the other. And then Tanzania closed its doors probably about all oh, crumbs a year ago, 18 months ago or so. And all of a sudden, all those so-called captive bred animals in that in, in America, in Germany and stuff, bam they were gone 
Yeah. And 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 then it makes you realise how much cobblers there is is said by people yeah. saying that they're captive. We rely on imports. Yeah. And or yeah. how much people are saying they're being captive bred. Oh yeah, this is sustainable. Right. Okay. The way to prove if it's sustainable or not is stop the country exporting. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, where have they gone? Yeah, because they're not because they're not being captive bred. Clearly, people yeah. say that they are, but they're not. Well, I, yeah. I bought a white lip python yeah. off a off, off a friend, mm. um, and he t- he told me that this this python was um, captive bred. Mm. And I'm I, again, I'm, I'm not going to argue with him about it. You know, he he bought the, bought it off someone who told him it was captive bred. Mm. Um, I kept this animal for three, nearly four years, um, and that it's very difficult to look at an animal and go. You weren't born in captivity, or you no. you were born in wherever. Um, yeah. You know what? The way this animal acted, how how it was, um, you know, the, some of the scars that it had on it. Mm. Um, this animal was never captive bred. Um, mm. You just there's just that many different like markers to make me think this. Um, and you know, and you know, for second white lip pythons as well, there are species that if someone's bred them, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. What I mean, they, they don't get produced every single year, so. You know, we know how old this animal is. I can't find anyone who produced the animal in that year. Mm. Now, yeah. it makes no difference. It was absolutely, and it still is, an absolutely fantastic animal, um, apart yeah. from it hating everyone and everything in the world. Um, you. Yeah. You. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's no fault of its own. It's still an absolutely amazing animal. But mm. someone, I think, lied somewhere. Mm. And then that's been passed down Chinese whispers. But that's all it takes. But perhaps, that's all it takes. Yeah, perhaps it was a captive farmed animal, and then eventually that's yeah. got twisted. Or I think sometimes we just need to make sure that you know it is what it is, and just be yeah. honest. You know, it's fine. Yeah. You know, if I can't if I can't get a certain species captive bred, and I really want to work with it, and it's something that I am really going to be passionate about, and I'm going to put the effort in, then yes, I will go out and buy wild-caught animals. Yeah. You know, because then the next person who comes along who wants to work with that species, hopefully I can turn around and go, whoa, don't do that. I've got I've babies got, got to sale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, buy them yeah, off me or, or, or ha- have them. You know what I mean? Don't mm-hmm. do not do that. Let's let's start with these. Let, let's get the captive market going. With yeah. species. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe there should be a uh, uh, like a milestone. Um, so, say for instance, you know, you wanted uh, such and such from Papua New Guinea, and you, you know, th- they could say something like, "Okay, you can have ten, right?" And you've got um, X amount of years um, to breed them and to, to prove that they're they're sustainable in the hobby. Um, and if you can't, that's it. You're not getting any more. Yeah. You've had you've had your fill. If you can't breed them and and, the, and you know you really struggle with them and they die or whatever for whatever reason, especially with today's technology and and yeah. our husbandry, um, then that's it. That's your lot. You're not having any more. Well, they kind but of. I do that. agree with you in the way. Like, yeah. Go on. I was going to say they, they kind go, of go, did go. that with um, in Indonesia. I know they clamped down on the on the captive breeding farms. There was a, a paper brought because obviously in, in Indo with the chondros and all the green mm-hmm. tree monitors, various you know various monitors and things. You know a lot of really cool stuff yeah. comes out of Indo. And, and a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, they did, um, I can't remember, it was one of the universities, they did a study, they went round captive breeding farms in mm-hmm. Indonesia, and they essentially went, because in Indo, when you have your, uh, when you've got your farm, you have to write down your list of males, females of any one species, and then work out. So, they, so you've got figures, and they're then licensed by the government to say, right, you are a captive farmer, you are allowed 10 females and 10 males of this given species, and that log yeah. is then kept. And anyway, mm-hmm. they did spot checks on these um 
on these captive breeding farms, going around looking at chondros, looking at green tree python and green tree monitors, and mm-hmm. uh, and they found that the what was being exported was something like four times the amount of animals that is possibly able to produce from the adults that they were keeping. And it was obviously, wow. it's, and unfortunately it happens a lot, is that these loopholes open up. Someone was there, doing there it. Are, yeah, there, there are legitimate farmers out there, don't get me wrong, but unfortunately there's, also, there's an awful lot of them as well. Yeah. Who will then jump on the bandwagon and they, they the scam, oh goodness, I've seen so many different scams. One of the scams I've seen a lot in East Africa with chameleons is um, they set up a farm, set up a series of aviaries, and they say, right, okay, we've got, say, got 30 30 adults of whatever species in there and stuff and then they start getting from kenya wildlife service say this they get their permits and then they start um exporting blah 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 and then all of a sudden bam they do a spot check and uh i remember a mate of mine told me about this when kws they did a, a spot check on this particular farm um to see right okay you've got an export going on at the end of this week due to go to london of 100 jackson's chameleons can we see them please and can we see your adults and they had someone like 20 adults there and nothing else. And they were like, well, hang on, where's this hundred individuals that you're meant to be shipping out at the end of this week? Oh, they're not here. They're at, they're at our other facility. Right. Can you show us your other facility, please? And they went out. There was no other facility. They literally were. It was a ruse. It's a, it's a smoke screen. Mm-hmm. So I've got an aviary with a couple of cams in. I can now carry on exporting wild courts and so I bred them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what yeah. happens a lot, unfortunately. The other thing I had as well, um, and I won't say species names or persons or what you know who it was and whatnot. And when I was looking after a Pacific spe- I was looking for a Pacific species of python. And it was obviously gonna be well caught. And I approached this importer and he said, Yeah, no problem, I can get it. Um it'd be X, Y, and Z amount of money. And then I messaged him a couple of weeks later and I was like, Okay, any luck kind of thing. And he was like, um, I can get it for you, but I'm going to have to export it as um, a different species. Sure. So, obviously, it was one of the different subspecies. Now, from someone at Border Control or whatever, they didn't have a scuba. They mm. wouldn't know the difference. They're very, very similar. But the one has got a quota on, the other one doesn't. Right. Um, are you willing to, uh, £100 less, are you willing to do this? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I'm sitting there arguing myself because I really want this animal. Yeah. But do I want to be involved in, you know, one breaking the law and secondly, that's just encouraging nah. people to do it. And I, I'm, I'm yeah, not a kind of person. No, nah, I don't. So be that uh, person. I, I never had said animal. Uh, although eventually I did get said animal, but uh, not through that person. No, and you do. You, sometimes you you do have to take the higher moral ground. Sometimes, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't. Or the other thing I found is a lot of people they they want to hit you. They they want to hear certain things, and so the the seller or the importer or whatever it may be, they essentially tell them what they want to hear. Oh yeah, of course it's captive bred. Oh yeah, that bloke said it was captive bred, so it must be. And mm-hmm. then you you come along and you take one look at it. And you think there's no way that's captive bred. He said it was. Yeah, but that's mm-hmm. just him. He's trying to sell you something. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just and a lot bit... of people and a lot of people see them as. Um... You know, so let's, let's just say, you know, Sally from up the road, she's not been in the hobby too long. She's yeah. not hugely experienced. And she speaks to one of these people, one of these exporters, you know, who's just seen her status or something, saying, mm. oh, I'd love this, I'd love that. Mm. And he comes on and he said, oh, I can get these, I can get these, blah, 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 and reels off all this gump. Mm. And she sees it all as gospel. She thinks he's, you know, the totally index best thing, you know, all amazing. Yeah. But really, as you said a minute ago, all he is is Joe Bloggs from fucking South Africa, who's really nothing. Really, yeah. he's just re- yeah. he's relying on that to 
you know, get a couple of quid at the end of the week. Don't don't get me wrong. There are some really genuinely decent people oh, out absolutely, there. Absolutely, yeah. People have got they're they're honourable. They've got morals and things like that. But at the same time, in this in this business, as it were, of herps, there there are an awful lot of people who haven't got. And there's a lot of fly-by nights as well. There's a you know crumbs. This I've been keeping lizards and stuff now for 30 odd years and there's so many people who've been and gone there's only very few who are still around these days and those guys are real characters and also there's an element of honesty to them as well so mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why they're still around yeah totally because yeah. if you if you're going to lie about this sort of stuff eventually you will get found out what, go, what goes around comes around yeah 100 percent I was I was conscious that obviously the last podcast we spoke so much about your work that you did abroad you know on the documentary side and that and we really didn't get to speak about much about your collection and I know you've got an absolutely phenomenal collection cheers Um, do you want to do you want to tell us about that I know you've mentioned about some of the lists but you have got some really nice and some rarer species and what and go on about what you keep and what you specialize yeah well over the years I've I've crumbs I'm I'm 43 now I've been, been keeping lizards and stuff since i was a crumb since i was about 10 so quite quite a few years but I've, I've kept pretty much everything out there over the years and that's very much why i am the way that i am now in terms of i'm very limited in what i keep the majority of what i keep is what i know i can keep well over many many generations and for my own populations and so like i mentioned earlier on about i've got my sort of quite large outdoor areas uh, where i keep mainly lacertas which are the the wall lizards the sand lizards the green lizards the eyed lizards the sort of thing that when you're on holiday in france or spain or portugal or something you see them running around the walls or you see mm-hmm. them you know the, the big greens you see running around in bushes and so on and yeah. i was always inspired by them when i was little when we used to go on holiday to southern france and and, and greece and so on and uh, just absolutely was mesmerized by the fact there was these beautifully green animals running around but what i ultimately wanted to do i didn't just want to possess them i didn't want to own them as such because i just i saw that that was a way of almost taking the beauty away from them so what i always sort of wanted to do was build my own outdoor enclosures which i could keep them in wild or semi-wild anyway and that's what i've got now is is quite a large area outside where they fully planted out with like mediterranean plants and things and so there's there's green green lizards there's many species of green lizard out there now wall wall lizards different species of sand lizard eyed lizards um egyptian agamas um tortoises we've got lots of tortoises out there um, we've got, what have we got? I've got Malachite Swifts out there at the minute, the, which are wow. Central American, very beautiful iguanid, arboreal iguanid. They're, they're outside in the greenhouse at the moment, but they'll, they'll be coming in in the winter because they, they don't like it too cold in the winter. Um, got Lamanctus, which is a very long-tailed arboreal iguanid from Mexico. They're stunning, stunning things. I found them to be totally hardy in our summers, but they're again in the winter. I have to bring them in. Um, but so what else have we got? Um, have, you, have you have you considered um, just sort of giving them um, an area that can that they can go into to keep warm, like a real thermal insulated area, or, not, or would you pro- rather just keep them inside? The problem is with those Lamanctus particularly, and the Malachites as well, they are uh, they're very arboreal. And uh, mm-hmm. as a result, you'd have to literally be heating quite large areas. Um, yeah. Because, for example, like the Lamanctus, they're a very long, gangly animal. And when mm-hmm. they go to sleep, they go to sleep right at the end of branches and at the end of plants. And um, yep. and so they are very exposed. Again, that's a defense. Where, where mm-hmm. they live in the rainforest, they... 
they go out the end of the branches to stop snakes coming along up the tree trunks where they mm-hmm. live and eat and eat. So they purposely go out at the end of branches. So yeah. I would literally be having to heat the entire volume of my greenhouse just to keep them warm. Yeah. Which um, again, I I have to think about the environment. I've I've done something in the past and, with, and your electricity bill. Exactly. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, um, like, but particularly the environment these days. My my greenhouse and my enclosures have no heating, no, no lighting. They have zero power in them. Yeah. Um, because I just want to, and again, that's that's it's an, from an environmental sort of moral perspective, but it's also um, I found that a lot of the species they simply don't need it. Yeah. As captive captive bred animals that are born and raised under the conditions that I've got in my garden, um, they go on for decades. Um, I've got one species of green lizard out there which I've been self-sustaining now since 1992, <clears> and uh, and bred mul- multiple generations of them now, and um, and and. A- I just look at that as that that to me is the success. That is what I'm aspiring to, Absolutely. to be, to be, you know, I admire and love these things in nature so much. And it's like, right, by the sense I've created nature out there is a, is really cool. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I've tried many other species in there. One I've recently given up is, is the Eastern bearded dragon, which is Barbata, which is the true bearded dragon. They're very rare. There's, there's none in Britain. Um, but I've, I literally, my last ones went to Ham the other week, actually, to go to a friend of mine because I've, I've put them through my trials, as it were, of thinking, right, they should be able to sustain here. I should be able to get them breeding by two or three years. And I've unfortunately failed. Um, I lost several females this year. Um, last year I had infertile eggs only. And it just got to a make or break time this, this year thinking, right, what am I going to do with them? Lost a couple of females. I had a couple left. And I thought, right. I either reinvest and start again or I think no I'm not doing the right thing by them I can't I can't do these animals anymore I'm they're not right to be with me or what, what, think... what, or what you have isn't what they require exactly sort of and no, yeah. no, no and, I, and don't get me wrong I've you know I've not just sort of sat on my laurels and thought this is good enough for you every time no. I fail I then try and work out why am I failing is it lighting is it heating is it yeah. to do with the the aspects of the wall that they're on? Is it the position yeah. of the viv on the floor or does it have to be halfway up the wall? All of these things I've tried and mm-hmm. these are experiments that I encourage everyone to do. If, but in order to, to do that, you need to really look at the details and you've yeah. got to be really objective in terms of the animal that you've got to mm-hmm. be understanding, am I and really... And hard on yourself, yeah. And hard on yourself and it's mm-hmm. just the case of, right, this year, no, I'm done now. So they, they went off to a friend of mine in Denmark. That's right. So, you've got to really stand by your morals. So, yeah, right? absolutely. It must yeah. be hard because you, you know, you've bred so many different species over yeah. the years, yeah. and you're thinking, I can get this right, I can get this right. But it's good that you just go, do you know what? I've, I've given myself my time period that I usually mm-hmm. give myself, yeah. and you know, I'm now going to admit defeat. And that's I've, tri- I've tried all the parameters and things. Like I've tried everything, like all the T5s, all these different mercury vapors, all these solar raptor bulbs, all of these things. Yeah. Still doesn't work, and it's like right. Clearly, because in the wild, these things breed like crazy. Clear, yep. but, but in captivity, not just my own captivity here, where I've tried all these things, but I know other people in Europe and in the States. I talk to all these other Barbata keepers, finding out how are you doing? No, terribly. How are you doing? No, terribly. It's like, right, hmm, something's amiss here, isn't it? And it all just adds up to me that some species it's, just do not do well. And there's nothing yeah, we can do about it. So, yeah, However, with, with the, um, the advancements of technology and companies like Reptile Systems and Arcadia pushing technology further, do you think if they were to create possibly um, a higher percentage UV bulbs or, I don't know, better equipment do you think that in the future you possibly may be able to keep them in captivity i think anything's possible you know you look where we are now compared to say 20 years ago where the only uv tubes we had were like true lights or atinic bulbs 
and they were awful. And and I look back on them now, and they they are they were terrible. And no doubt, in twenty years' time, we'll look back on where we are now and think, my God, yeah. how did we have any? Did, how how did we manage to do anything? But it's yeah. all mm-hmm. all part of progress and stuff, isn't it? But at the moment, I'm just happy to throw my hands up and just say, look, I can't do this by these animals anymore. I'm gonna like my my mate up in Denmark. He does very well with them, and it's like, right, mate, you have them. Yeah. You you go for your life, and uh, we'll we'll cross that bridge again in the future. But for now, I just I think that for some animals are relatively easy to deal with, and with mm-hmm. new technology and things, things are getting easier for many species. But there's yeah. still many many species out there which we simply cannot do yet. Rob, here's a here's a real quick question for you, for anybody who's listening to the show and wants to, um, you, you know, give the the green the whole greenhouse thing a try. How how did you deal with the the summer we had because i imagine that greenhouse got hot like really really hot it did yeah it does and but what's the wonderful thing about going down the route of alfresco lizard or reptile keeping mm-hmm. is that all of a sudden the animals prove themselves to you that they can do amazing stuff that that you've never had reason to see them do before when you keep them conventionally in a vivarium indoors and mm-hmm. um, for example in my greenhouse i think i had 45 degrees celsius but because I've got ambient humidity in there, which is very high because of the misters, and mm-hmm. because they're all absolutely bedecked in uh, real plants, real growing plants, yeah. when it was that hot, I went in there and you think, oh my God, it's so blooming hot. You then look down in the bottom of the cages or in the foliage and you see them, all the lizards or chameleons or whatever it may be, they're all, hunk- they're all hunkered down, but mm-hmm. they're looking absolutely brilliant, even the babies. Yeah. Even the babies, which you think they're going to expire, you see, I've seen some tiny, tiny baby chameleons um, sitting there in the middle of the bushes, and they're absolutely good as gold. And because uh, it's relatively humid in there, and they're out the direct sun, and they can tolerate these things, because at the end of the day, many species that we keep are from the tropics. They experience far higher extremes of temperatures, particularly you know hot, hot temperatures, than we do here. Like, a hot, you know, in, in Blighty, for example, we'll have a couple of, like, high 30s days, say, and yeah. everyone throws their hands up in the air and says, oh, my goodness, it's a heat haze, or heat wave, sorry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but compared to most places, you think, yeah, that's, that's a cold day in the winter in India. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so it's and yeah. all of a sudden, and, but if you had them indoors in a, in a vivarium under a light bulb, if you hit that ambient temperature of 45 degrees, the things would be keeling over in front of you. Whereas yeah, outside, that, that does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, whereas in, outside in the greenhouse with good air ventilation going through, good humid air, direct moisture as well that they can drink the droplets from, and dense bushes that they can get right in the middle of to create this sort of low end of the thermal gradient, I wasn't losing anything. No. Do you have de- decent substrate as well, Rob? Yeah, so that exa- they yeah. Can, you know, exactly. In, in, the, in the enclosures on the ground, they go straight into the ground, and, uh, and the tortoises and the lizards, they all just disappear. But yeah. if, you're in, if you're in Greece on holiday, say, in the middle of summer in August, the only time you're going to see anything out is first thing in the morning between about seven and nine and yeah. probably about five, six o'clock in the evening. The rest of the time, everything is properly buried. Everything's uh-huh. gone. And yeah. so yeah, as much as you walk around saying, cool, it's hot. I wonder how the animals are doing. They're doing fine because they've burrowed down. Mm. Um, and it's the same in the winter as well. You know, my, my, my greenhouse I've had down to minus 10. And uh, but knowing that well, the animals aren't being exposed to minus 10, though, because they're either right in the middle of the bushes or they've buried themselves in the substrate or they've gone right in the ground. And so probably down where they're actually sitting down asleep, there's probably only maybe zero degrees at most, but they can tolerate that. 
Yeah. I mean, we've all seen the, 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 the documentaries when the survival documentaries, you know, and they're in the Arctic and it's minus 40, mm. but they dig themselves a little snow hole, you know, and, and the temperature can drop, uh, can rise by about 30 degrees Absolutely. just, in, just Absolutely. in a hole. Well, you yeah. see the Inuit when they build their little igloos and things, you think that is they're literally sitting on snow, compacted snow and ice, and they're building an ice building around them. You think, right, that's colder than a fridge. But in actual fact, when you get in there, compared to the external temperatures, it's actually quite warm in there, especially yeah. with the body heat pumping out heat and stuff. But I must admit, I, I can't advocate outdoor keeping enough these days. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever. There's so many species I have outside now. Um, and the prospect of actually bringing them inside now is, is a thoroughly sad possibility to me to actually see. You see, like, for example, eyed lizards, the, the, or the pearl lizards, jewel lizards, whatever you want to call them. They're very commonly kept almost like beardies. But when you see them being raised indoors, because they're um, quite easy to keep, they generally eat insects like beardies do, people like them as pets, they sit on their hands and stuff. If you see an indoor raised eyed lizard compared to an outdoor raised eyed lizard, they're like chalk and cheese, like right. two to totally different animals. And they look, they look different, they act differently, the longevity is far longer outside, they breed longer, everything about it is better outside. Yeah. Uh, the, only, the only other person I know who's got outdoor enclosures is John Campbell. I know he keeps um, some native species and some European species in outdoor yeah, enclosures, and yeah. he says exactly the same. Yeah. Um, the, the question I've got, Rob, and I don't know how you interact with them, are they behaving just like they would do in the wild, Rob, or are they tame? Do you handle them, or do you just literally leave them there to, just to, to watch and enjoy? I, I leave them to their own devices, to be honest. I'm, I'm not really one for handling. Uh, my, my children have got their pet beardy um, that they, they have out and things, but I, I've never looked at reptiles as pets. They've always been something that I admire. Yeah. And uh, and I just sort of, you know, look at them from afar and uh, I just mentioned eyed lizards and eyed lizard indoors just will sit on your la sit on your hand, look around the room. Some people sit there watching telly with them, doing what they do with them. An eyed lizard outside, you won't get within 10 metres of it. They're unbelievably nervous and twitchy, just like they are in the wild, which to, to a pet keeper's perspective is a really bad thing because, of course, they never see it. But I, again, I'm respecting them from a wild perspective and it suddenly makes it magical, magical again. That's the yeah. other thing I've discovered. Um, when you keep things indoors, whether it be you know, any, any species that you keep indoors or you go into a pet shop and you see it for sale, you take it for granted that it's right there. It's right there in front of you. You can pick it up if you want or there's half a dozen of them in the tank. When you go out in the field, if you're in a desert, in a rainforest and stuff, you don't see them in anything like those densities. And so when you do, I remember seeing a green animal for the first time ever in the wild and it was such a novelty to see this incredible animal because it, back at home they're to a penny and people keep them as pets and you see them in pet shops um but in the wild to actually see a wild one and it was incredibly quick incredibly nervous of me and it was essentially living on this big old palm tree but suddenly it was like wow that is the magic that we lose with these things when we see things in captivity these they've become this commodity that's there in large numbers when you suddenly see something it being rare and beautiful again it's a wonderful thing and that's why i get that's why i've got my things outside to a degree is that when I don't often see them, that's the great thing. I, I'll go out there and um, I, I can be six months like going out in my garden before I see a certain individual turn up. And it's because she's chosen to be burrowed down or she's just been very elusive. But when you see them, you're like, no way. I thought you were long dead or I thought you were gone. <laughs> and then you suddenly see them and they look spectacularly green and they look beautiful. And you think, wow, hats off to you. The fact that you're not living under a light bulb and I'm seeing you every day as you're eating mealworms. Yeah. It's the fact that I'm appreciating you for being the gem that you are again. 
And then a note there, you said, you know, that, you know, you said the, the characteristics are totally different. You know, they're shy, they're twitchy. And it's worth pointing out that in the wild, they have to be shy and twitchy because if they wasn't, then they'd be eaten. Absolutely. <laughs> and I that's what I, you enjoy. I, tell what I think, exactly. And the thing that I discovered many years ago when I was crumbs, I was 13, 14, I had an iguana. And I had this pet iguana and I raised him from a baby and I had him under the UV tubes and all the normal stuff that you would do to raise them. He got to about five feet. He was a lovely sized lad. I walked around with him on my glove. I had a, but a big gauntlet, like a big leather glove. I'd have him on my glove walking around. He used to walk around the house like a dog and he was great. He was dead tame. And uh, But as far as I was concerned, he was just tame. And then when I took him outside for the first time, I took him outside. I thought I'll give him some natural sunshine because I've heard it's really good for them. As much as our UV tubes are good and everything and they give them everything they need, surely they can never, ever be as good as natural, natural light. So I stuck him outside and I put him on the fence and I was out with him. And after about five minutes, he was just sitting there and looking around. And I walked up to him. He saw me. He whacked me with his tail and he raced off over next door's fence. And I suddenly <laughs> thought, whoa, what has happened? Yeah. What, has, what has happened? And I was terrified because suddenly my iguana was called Titch, by the way. Uh, suddenly Titch had dived over the fence and I'm suddenly like, oh, crumbs. So I've got to go to my neighbor's house, get the, got him back. He was going mental, going absolutely berserk. And I brought him in and I calmed him down and I, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, what's happened? Has something spooked him? Has it, was it a cat? Was it a dog? Has something fired him up? And um, I brought him in and I sat, settled him and he was caught. He was right as rain. He calmed down and he carried on as normal. And that really struck a chord with me in terms of what had changed in that animal, because it wasn't a predator. Nothing scared him or anything like that. And then the penny dropped many years later. And it was that he suddenly is exposed to natural UV. He suddenly experienced uh, emotions, hormonal rushes. He's suddenly physiologically changed because of this exposure to UV. Suddenly, he's gone wild again. Suddenly, he's expressing his wild characteristics again, which a lot of the time people say, oh, he's tame, he's tame. And I've often looked now at so-called tame animals that are raised indoors. and it's like, They're not tame, they're suppressed. They're not experiencing the right levels of UV or the right food or the right something. So what, when someone, like for example, beardies, bearded dragons, are dead tame. Everyone knows they're dead tame. I Not challenge. In the wild. Yeah, you go <laughs> after them in the wild. Honestly, oh, they horrible. are they they are greased lightning, mm -hmm. and and it suddenly puts it in perspective that in captivity you're only seeing half the animal. You're not seeing his full range of characteristics at all because because of captive conditions, lack of light, lack of whatever it may be, you're only seeing half of the potential of the animal and that's that's always really struck a note with me and it's it's made me very thoughtful with regard to the animals and the way that i keep them but also the animals that i purposely don't keep as a mm -hmm. result it's it's crazy as you say that uh you know specifically bearded dragons as well because if you if you can find someone on uh facebook who sort of lives lives in australia or whatever and 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 posts photos uh, and data and stuff of beardies <clears throat> you'll see that most of the photos of beardies um their, their, their beards, are, their necks are jet black. They're yeah. standing there in a big, scary pose. Oh, look, I'm a big, scary lizard with mouth gaped, huge, mm. as big as they can get it. Don't come near me. I'm going to bite you. And that is probably 90% of the photos of beardies in the wild that you'll see. Yeah. That people have gone near because they are yeah. 
very, very defensive in the wild. Particularly, particularly Barbata, which is the species I've just passed on to my mate, my mates mm-hmm. in Europe. Yeah. They're, they're the original bearded dragon, the, the classic bearded dragon of old literature, yeah. with the big old beard, big sulphur mouth, really a, a very violent-looking animal and things. And in in captivity, they 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 do calm down and things like that. But they compared to other beardies, like inland bearded dragons, which are dead easy to keep. Yeah. Barbata is a really hard, very cryptic animal to keep, but it's mm. again, like you say, in the in the wild, these things are crumbs. Trying to catch beardies in the wild, you see them on fence posts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first thing I learnt when trying to do that was never ever give them eye contact. As soon as you give no. them eye contact, they are off, and they yeah. they run they run bipedally as well, like a frilled lizard, and mm-hmm. uh, and they are so fast, you, you just can't catch them. So you yeah. if you see, if you see, I, I got showed, shown this by a herper I was working with out there, and he was like, right, we're just going to go along, and we're looking at the fence posts. If you see a beardy from a distance, immediately look away from it, because if he clocks that you're looking at him, he'll be off. And mm-hmm. so you, you look away from him, and then you, you, you look in with your peripheral vision, walk mm-hmm. along, it's like, right, I can see him, I can see him, I can see him. And then only and only when you get alongside of him, you never look at him. You go, you grab him with your peripheral vision. By then, he's normally gone to the other side of the tree trunk or the, or the fence post because he's trying to be cryptic. He's trying to hide from you. But uh, yeah, if you do actually catch him, God, it's an off bite. <laughs> they're, they're, they are in, they are intelligent though. They 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 know. Um, I mean, as do we. Um, they know to look for eye contact. They know where where, where our eyes are and where yeah. they're looking. Most uh, animals it, it does go, that is, though. Yeah, That's it does go for most. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like um, a, a number of times, you know, I've been, you know, in the past, I've been walking um, along the common or something, and um, I will walk past um, a grass snake laying in the verge, and I'll walk right past it, and I'll turn around for whatever reason, I'll spot it, and it's gone. Mm. The second I look at it, it's gone. Yeah. I've already yeah. walked past it. That snake knows I've gone past it already. But yeah. the second I turn around and look at it, it's gone. Because yeah. it knows I've clocked it. And it's like, it's no, an... okay, I'm not hidden anymore. It's a bit of a question for you. So, beady dragons um, in captivity are uh, told to be solitary animals. Now, obviously, we're keeping them in relatively small wooden boxes. Um, when you went over and saw them in the wild... Mm. Were they ever together, or were there any in a, as I like say, a small proximity? Depends um, on the time. It depends on the time of year. Um, sometimes in the breeding season, for example, you'll get a, a male will hang around with a female because he's sort of like made claim of her, and mm-hmm. uh, and so some in the breeding season you'll see the males quite close to the females. Uh, but again, the the males generally hold territories, and the females are a bit more promiscuous. They move from territory to territory. So you'll, like, for example, a friend of mine, she had in her garden, along her back fence, she had a resident male, a a subordinate male, and she'd have two or three females that would pass through. So on any one day, we'd say, right, the top male's sitting there in his normal position, head bobbing. Subordinate male's waiting around the wings somewhere, hoping to dive in if the top male's not seen them. (laughs) And then then the female, we we saw the same female, she was cropping up over several hundred metres. That's like Eleanor. Yeah. Just don't, like Eleanor. Don't say yeah, it wait, again. Wait. Say, say her <laughs> name one more time and she'll appear. <laughs> but just, but there's, but that, but there's that, the other male waiting for that, sloppy seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you do, you get, you get, quite often you'll end up with the, the male will be like showing off and, and he might do, you'll be head bobbing up on a fence post then he goes thundering off across the lawn because he's seen another male. And meanwhile, the subordinate male has clocked that the female's around. He'll dive in and mate with her knowing that this is his only opportunity. She's just there. She, the female's hot. She's ovulating. She's chock full of hormones. She's just looking for any male who can overpower her to mate with her. Hope, she's hoping it's going to be the top male because he's got all the good genes. But if subordinate male comes along and he pins her and mates her, then bam, she's, she, she's 
um, fertilised without the top male ever knowing. But that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the the sort of the cryptic males for you. And there's lots of stories like that. Yeah. Mm. Right. How the fucking hell do you know so much? <laughs> just, <laughs> just, not, just, not, not just on reptiles, but I mean, you know so much about the smallest of creatures in this country. To you know, Thank is you. it just your work that you do? Obviously, you you love doing what you're doing. Is it research? Is it the love of it? Is it a mixture of everything? It's every everything. Um, it's everything. Ever since I was little, I've always loved the natural world and things. And again, goes back to the why I do Rob's Wild Adventures now is that I take a lot of things for granted in stuff that I know. And just in conversation like we're having now, we're just talking about stuff, and I'm just just talking about fun things because it's really nice. But it makes you realise that other people don't necessarily know what you know. And so I look at it that right. If I like it, it makes me happy. I know other people makes them happy as well. It puts a smile on their face, and you know it's all good, positive stuff. So I figure, yeah, let's let's just throw it out there and talk to as many well, people as possible. And definitely. but a lot of it's a lot of it's sort of reading when I was little. A lot, a lot of my knowledge, a lot of things that spring into my head, I literally can remember when I was five years old reading about it in a book. And so there's a lot of lot of just memory of just learning stuff over the years, really. Definitely. Well, I do know something that is really fun, and I believe just before we started recording the show, we did start talking about it, but we knew something you didn't know, which means that you have got the forfeit, which means the next one you've got to come with us. Um, <laughs> but you didn't know that there was like four Doncaster shows? No, I've, ne- I've never ever been. I've never oh, been to dude, Doncaster. Okay. What you need to do, right, is keep your little mouth shut, turn up, right, <laughs> and what we'll do, right, I'll grab Dave Clemens, right, yeah. I'll bend him over for you, and you can <laughs> slap him as hard as you can. <laughs> um, obviously, whilst wearing a reptile and chill t-shirt. Of course, that'd be yeah. very funny. I think no, I've never, I've never, I've never, because I, I go to Ham. I've not been to a British reptile show for decades. I used to go to the Thames and Chilton years ago, and I used to go to the IHS up in Walsall, but I've not, I've not ever been to any of the Doncaster shows or anything. Are you sure? I mean, they're, they're nothing um, like Ham, but. You know, I, I yeah. think, I think it'd be ideal for the kids, though, Rob. I know you mentioned earlier. Right, now you've mentioned the kids, you're ruining my plans now. All right. So, <laughs> the next Doncaster, which I think is the 3rd of November? Yep. Right. Um, we're stopping over the night before. Now, we all know you like shenanigans. I do. I do. So, <laughs> I think, actually, you know what? I'm going to get down on one knee right now. <laughs> no, you're not, because you won't be able to get back up again. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the floor. Oh, Rob, you sound like you are. Rob, Rob Pilley. <laughs> yes. Will you go to Doncaster with us, please? I, <laughs> I, yeah, yes, I will, but I can't do that one. Oh. <laughs> you see, what you've got to understand is in Rob's world, it's either come to Doncaster with us or we'll ship you over to uh, Africa and you can go and film, <laughs> to film some wild species. I, you know what? I, 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 don't give, I don't give a fuck. Do you know how hard it was for a bloke of my size to get into Sorry, one knee? I will come. I promise <laughs> I will come. And, and Dave, Dave, now Dave, when Dave, I'll start again. When Dave hears this, he'll be like, right, you're coming next time. I will come with you next time. I promise. June, but June is the next one. June. I thought, okay, because I can't do the December, the November one, because we're actually on holiday then, so I'll be in Sardinia. But um, mm. I, next next time, I would love to come just for the sake of meeting you guys. It would be a real pleasure. Are we going to see some uh, Rob's Wild Adventures in Sardinia? You might do. I'm actually out there for my birthday, so I might do a birthday special. Share it all to our page. I mean, Rob, you can do a Rob's Wild Adventure from pretty much anywhere. Now, I think I'm enthusiastic, but 
I saw you getting enthusiastic and excited whilst in a portaloo the other day. (laughs) (laughs) What did you find? What was in there? Spiders. I tried to gather spiders all around the vents. They were amazing. (laughs) I was genuinely, I was genuinely, that's it. Everything you see of those videos is totally, totally real. There's nothing, there's nothing creative. There's nothing, right, let's do that again. That, oh, here's a good idea. Let's do a thing about newts. It's literally, um, you know, and, and I was, I was busting for the loo. I just went diving in the portal loo, was doing a turd and looked up and thought, well, look at all those webs. No <laughs> way. And, and it was, what, was, what was funny is that my son was actually outside the door listening to me talking. And I, ca- and I came out. About that? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I came out and he's like, are you all right, daddy? Who are you talking to? I was like, oh, I was talking, I was talking to the camera. Oh, right. What have you seen? There's loads of spiders. Oh, yeah, that's good. And then I got him in and he was standing on the toilet looking at all the spiders. It was brilliant. What so was his, what was his right. first you... words when he walked in there? God, dad. God, God, dad. Yeah. God, God sorry, God. sorry. God. I had curry last night. Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at, least, at least your son understands what you're doing. It's the poor bloke next door who sat there exactly. going, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, 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 what's yeah. he taken? Yeah. I, did, I, did, I, did, I did a couple of them when I was, at, I was at Glastonbury this year. I did a couple of them in Glastonbury, but I could have done some in the port there, but oh my goodness, that would have been a real experience. Oh, yeah. no, not, not, nobody not needs to see that, mate. Not, not, the viewers, not, yeah. Not, yeah, not many inverts there apart from a few flies and a few unconscious people. <laughs> I've, I've, got to, I've got to admit, recording audio or video uh, for mm. entertainment purposes, I'll be putting a podcast out or putting a YouTube video out or whatever. At first, it's very strange. So, like, think about it now. So, we are all sitting in a room in our house, connected to a microphone, talking. Everyone in the house must, must think we're absolutely raving bonkers mad. Yeah. Well, like, when I when I shot the video for the mental health talk that we did, um, I sat in my garden with a tripod and my camera set up, and I spoke for you know five six minutes. My neighbours would have been like, "What the hell's got with him? What's he doing?" Like, there's no one else there. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it like, is, it's, it's a very one-sided conversation, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, well, well to to be honest, yeah, my whole life's a one-sided conversation. No one actually <laughs> listens to me. Uh, thank you, thank you for laughing. Um, <laughs> That's alright. You know, but it's a, it is a strange thing, and I, it's I funny because it's true. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I know where you live, <laughs> um, and I have tried to do the whole kind of like do videos for YouTube, and we tried it a little bit, and it's so difficult, and you come across so well and so enthusiastic and i think that's the only way to go about it so and every time i think i put more effort into it I've not, and i've came across more um enthusiastic and you know more express using more um expressions and that kind of thing and i look back at it and i was like man i didn't move yeah. <laughs> i look like i'm dead resting bitch all, face. You, all you can do is be yourself like that's what i do is just literally be yourself and if it's you being happy in yourself, expressing something which you think other people would enjoy and appreciate as well, then put it out there and never say never because you, you, you just don't know. You've just got to try these things. And again, it's if it makes you happy, you know, we deal these days in so many mental health issues and things. And if it makes you happy, you're doing something for all good intentions. There's no malice in it. You're just trying to make people happy and put a, someone's, a smile on someone's face. You put it out there. Even if people slate you or people put you down, as I've had a lot, 
even if people do hammer you for stuff, you just got to keep on going because at yeah. the end of the day, you're doing it for other people's benefit. You know, you're, you're not purposely or personally reaping any rewards or anything, certainly no financial rewards or anything like that. You're doing it to make people smile and to enlighten someone to, and for someone to come away and say, cool, I learned something today or I'm really... It's a bit like, for example, I remember years ago when I was, I used, when I was in London doing my, my, I did a master's degree in biodiversity. I was at the, the Natural History Museum in South Kensington and there was always this um, homeless bloke sitting in the underground and you'd go by him every day and he was just always there. And then one day I just sat down with him and I just said, hi, how are you doing? Pleased to meet you. Who are you? Because you, you know, you take these people for granted they're almost there like part of the wallpaper and I was just chatting and chatting to him about his life and this that and the other and uh, and I gave him a quid and stuff and he said mate that pound doesn't really mean anything compared to the fact that you just spoke to me because as you just said to me everyone walks by me and when you're at this ground level looking up at these people walking by it's the fact that people will look down at you then look away it's yeah. almost as if they're embarrassed by me being here and mm -hmm. he said that is the worst part about being homeless it's not the horrible conditions or the drugs or the booze or whatever it might be it's the fact that suddenly you are subhuman people don't care about you anymore and he said by the nature of you just saying hello to me you've you've made me feel alive again You've confirmed yeah. that I do exist. And that's, again, part of the reason that I try and do these videos is to try and reach out to people and just say, look, just to be, make you smile or make you inspired or just to give you something today. Because that little teeny message or that little silly thing that I've just done by falling in a swamp or whatever may have given someone a spark of happiness today, which otherwise they may not have got. And, yeah. if I, and by doing that, I'm pleased that I've helped someone today. Definitely. I think we, we, we were talking about work today. Uh, we was with an elderly gentleman, one of our customers, and he was uh, moaning that people don't say hello to each other. People don't smile if you're in the street walking down mm. the road. There's no eye contact. Mm. Um, and it's something that I, I do every day. If, you know, if I'm walking down the road or I've gone to a drive and there's someone walking across the drive or you know in my area, then I, if they, we get eye contact, I will always say hello. Now, mm. nine times out of ten, they look like I've just pulled a gun out of them. <laughs> yeah. right? yeah, most totally. people in your area do. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. Um, I don't know whether it's maybe because it's my appearance, my big bloke covered in tattoos, beard, bald, or mainly it's like, huh, what? People can talk mm. these days. Mm. Um, yeah, what I have noticed, though, the ones that come across regularly, and I've said hello two or three times, they now say hello back. Yeah, and perhaps yeah. when they walk past other people, yeah. they will say hello to other. They people. will start saying hello as well. You know, I mean, I think sometimes that's what you just need to. Do. It's bare basics. Come on, guys. Yeah, right, we all live in this world together. We're not always going to get on. We're not always going to be friends. But for fuck's sake, can we just say hello to each other? Totally, mm. I totally, totally agree. Because I think, unfortunately, because of TV, social media, we are bombarded all the time, essentially, with rubbish all day. Stuff to be scared of, that there's something going on everywhere. Every person you're going to cross paths with is going to mug you, or they're going to be, you know, have issues or whatever. And so I think it. we don't necessarily do it on purpose, but I think we sort of subconsciously do withdraw a little bit. Because we do run the risk of, by making eye contact or saying hello to someone, we are risking potentially crossing paths with oh no why did i do that for and so i think these days especially with people in their phones or their computers we're living more and more insular lives because we're protecting ourselves from the potential bogeyman out there which is going to get us even though that there's no more bogeymans around nowadays than there was 20 years ago we're just more scared these days 
We used to laugh at the flasher when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Rob, just going back to something that you mentioned earlier about you doing the videos, you know, the Rob's World Adventures, and you're doing it because you want to get that information out to, to other people. Um, we do obviously do a lot for mental health, and, and we talk about it quite a bit. And quite recently, I've struggled, uh, and I've been going out, but, but just doing some photography. But that's helped my mental health. Have you found that doing these videos has helped you in any way, shape, or form in, in that side side of things? Um, it's certainly it's it's given me uh, another thing to do. I'm really quite quite busy with my work, with my wife, with my kids and stuff. It's given me another outlet, and and I love getting I love getting feedback from people. Um, the positive feedback that I get, some people like parents, kids who write to me or whatever it may be, is really, really lovely. And I so always say to all of them, thank you so much. It's hearing comments like that that means that it's really making, you know, it's really making a difference to people and stuff. Um, I have had negative comments from people. I've had some pretty horrible things, which Honestly. then, and then, then that of course has the opposite effects, like you, like you were saying earlier. Um, it, um, it, it does. It has, the, it, make, it has the opposite effect, and it makes you not want to do it. And and it does make you think, why am I bothering? If people are being horrible to me and just being spiteful, and I met what what I've had subsequently, I've had two things I've heard of that have made me sort of put it in perspective and think, sod it, I'm carrying on anyway. Yeah. Because I know that people, most people do like it, and there's just lots of spiteful people out there who've got nothing else to say. Um, there was jealousy, one jealousy as well. Je possibly. Maybe. Um, but but there, there was these two things. One of them was. Um, there was a guy saying, right, if you were driving a Ferrari down the road and it kept being hit on the windscreen by a few flies and mosquitoes, would you stop driving your Ferrari? And it's like, mm, that's a very fair point, because, of course, no, I'd carry on driving my Ferrari, even though things are still hitting me, which is like, that's that's a good analogy. I like that. I'm going to keep mm, on going yeah. for the for the bigger picture, for the bigger enjoyment of things. Forget the, forget the flies. The other one was Ricky Gervais. Um, Ricky Gervais did a, a really funny sketch when he was talking about Twitter. And you, have you seen the one when he's talking about Twitter? No. We're trying to get Ricky Gervais on the show, but no, he, he won't respond. No, he's saying about he's, he's saying about Twitter, and he said, oh, "I've got Twitter. I've got 12 million. I've got 12 million followers. I've never spoken to most of them." But he said, "Twitter's really, really funny. Twitter is the equivalent of." someone walking down the street and seeing an advert on the wall for guitar lessons and that person looks at it and they turn around and they tell everybody i don't want guitar lessons and uh, and then what that guy does is he then tears the little number off the bottom he then phones up the person who's offering the guitar lessons and saying hello are you offering guitar lessons i don't want guitar lessons <laughs> And it's like, that's true. Yeah, people, it's right. people to the, people, they you put something out there, you put a, a video out, or you put a podcast or something like that. People, uh, they'll respond to it, even though it's not for them. They're not the audience necessarily, but they yeah. feel this compulsion yeah. to say something. It, it's strange as well with people. Yeah. Well, um, I think the only negative thing we've had is mm. that. Um, Oh, you're trying to put yourself in the, the spotlight. You're trying to uh, push yourself, trying to make yourself celebrities. Mm. And to be completely honest, and I think Danny and Mike, you know, will back me up on this. I don't want the attention. Mm. I don't want to be constantly harassed. And don't mm. get, well, don't don't not don't get back me, you up on that. Yeah, no. Yeah. no, and I get oh, harassed I, by you. I don't mind <laughs> if it gives us a platform to help yeah. other people. Yeah, that's what then, I'm saying. I'll take so it all day long. I, I, yeah, would, exactly. I would much rather be able to turn my phone off. And not get you know people message me constantly. Yeah. How, however, 
this is a hobby that I am dedicated to, really passionate about, and mm. there is no oh, there there is no other trio of dickheads willing to do it. Yeah. No. Well so, said, chaps. Yeah. OGs. Thank you for being here. Yeah, OGs. so, so, so let, let, let's do it. Let's make absolute fucking idiots of ourselves. Let's have mm-hmm. a laugh, and if someone can take something positive away from it, exactly. great. I'm more than happy to be to get to get the bombardment as long as it's all positive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. I mean, I'll be. I, I, I get I get inboxes pretty much every day. You know, asking asking for help or my opinion or just asking how yeah, I'm and doing. So, blah, 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 and it's great. Yeah, it's something yeah. that we have to state, and we state it a lot. Is that what we say today? What my opinion today is on something might not be the same tomorrow because yeah. as a species we are constantly learning, we are constantly yeah. progressing, and sometimes I'm fucking wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? But don't yeah. hold me to being wrong. If I'm wrong, yeah. tell me I'm wrong, yeah. prove to me how I'm wrong, educate me, yeah. mm-hmm. and then we move forward. Exactly. Don't, just, we, don't just call me a prick. No, <laughs> you know I mean? well, you are. And we, and we collectively learn then, don't we? we, we as you say, no, there's, there is no super being amongst any of us. We're all in exactly the same boat. We're all mm-hmm. trying to learn off each other and learn by our mistakes and this, that and the other. And that's all we can ever do is carry on learning, really. And Rob, keep doing what you're doing, mate, because, oh, cheers, because the, the, the information that you're giving over and passing on your knowledge, obviously, will be passed on and on and on. I'm learning stuff from you, and I've been brought up similar to yourself, you know, really into my wildlife, uh, natural history for all of my life. I'm pretty much the same age as, as you, and I'm still learning stuff from you, mate. So we all, keep we all on are. doing just, it. Cheers, just, just, just pass on the excitement. <laughs> that's, yeah. all want. That's, yeah. that's all that really matters when you when you go into a bog yeah. and go oh my god look at these spiders these are amazing <laughs> that is that is what the world yeah. needs and can i just Which can i say as well mike and rob mm. can you two get a room or a portolo place <laughs> <laughs> i know very nice portolo <laughs> do you know what <laughs> rob, spiders, I, I, I think me. rob is like a really intelligent version of me <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I don't think you can drink as much as you, mate. Oh, no. I'm, not, not, I'm not very good on the booze these days. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Pal. That makes two of us, mate. <laughs> right, okay, anyways, I'm getting conscious of time, and yes, Rob oh, isn't angry yet. Oh God, no! I, I, I don't generally get very angry. I just get oh. more inspired. Oh what, what, God. That's not good uh, enough. God, I wish I had uh, your patience. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> Rob, you, you do a load um, of videos. Uh, you put out information all about sort of like saving the planet. We spoke yeah. a lot about it on the last podcast. Yeah. You know, you, you told us about sort of like you, you turned up on one little island that yeah. David Attenborough wrote a book about. You just happened to be reading it at the time. And then when you got there and you realised you was in the same place and you saw the sorry state of the plastic that was just lapped up on the beach it broke your heart and and it compelled you to to you know produce a bit of a video that gave david that you wrote to david after yeah. asking he was okay for you yeah. to he to was, he was. And, yeah. and he did and you do lots and lots of things about that i saw a video at you the other day um you know where there was a big there was a march wasn't there uh, yeah um, yeah that was down in bristol that was amazing absolutely yeah. amazing okay so um, I think to start off with, I think there's um, there's a young girl, and I do forget her name, and I really should have wrote it down. Greta Thunberg. That's the one. And she's doing some absolutely wonderful um, and wise things at the moment. And I am sick to fucking death of looking on my Facebook feed. And you know what? It's it's normally 
middle-aged blokes having a go, but I'm not going to stereotype. Um, having a go, saying it's people like you with your makeup and your playstations and your da 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 this and your bottles of coke. In my day, we had milk delivered by electric vehicles and da 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 and all this. And you know, it's 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 not the previous generation's fault. It's this generation's fault. Now, I don't think this is a a, a, a situation to be passing blame onto anyone. I think everyone is responsible. I think yes. Back in the good old days, yes, it was a little bit more eco-friendly. There was glass bottles with your milk. You know, your, your mum and dad didn't have bags. They used woven baskets and the idea and all that. Mm. However, things became easier. You know, these commercial yeah. companies started providing things in plastic, whether it was cheaper, whether it's better to preserve the food. We're not going to get into the argument. But yeah. the choice to still buy the more eco-friendly option is still there. And they still move to plastic. Yes. So, yeah. is it you being, in quotations, bad parents, lazy parents, bad for the environment, or whatever terminology you want to put to it, passing that on to the kids? Or is it the bigger companies making these things cheaper? Obviously, raising families, you know, it's it's, it's, it's expensive. It's really expensive. Yeah. You know, and if we can save a bit of money, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the problem is... This is what we're exposed to. It's no one's fault. It's everyone's fault. We're all guilty. I'm I'm really conscious of what I do, and I'm still a nitwit. I still need... I don't do enough. I could do a lot more, and I'm conscious. I've got a bamboo fucking lunchbox. You know what I mean? Like, um, But it's what we can do going forward. Um, you know, and obviously they've got these companies, but, you know, with the plastic straws of now gone, we've got paper straws. People straight away on the bandwagon, they're fucking shit, they go soggy, and all this. But the potential of what that's doing for our environment to help, we shouldn't be moaning, we should be embracing, we should all be going, right, okay, I'm a dick, I haven't done this, I can help. If we can all have that mindset, then the world would be a better place. That's exactly exactly what I was when I, when I did that video the other day. That's exactly what I was saying. It was exactly what David Attenborough said at Glastonbury this year when he came out. And at Glastonbury, they banned all sales of plastic bottles. And David came out and he said, "Thank you to Glastonbury that this weekend, this weekend alone at Glastonbury, it saved the the use of one million plastic bottles being consumed just from on that one weekend." And that one event, one million plastic bottles weren't used. And it suddenly puts in perspective that one little teeny thing which any one of us can do, it doesn't just have to be plastic bottles, it could be anything in our lives, can make a tremendous difference. And that's my sort of biggest thought and biggest message for me, for my family, for anyone who we talk to really, is that we are, as consumers, we are the creators of this need for stuff whether it be excess clothes, PlayStations, tellies, ornaments, crap that you get at Christmas, whatever, we create this demand by us appreciating and wanting it. When you look into the production of any of these elements, whether it be metal, plastic, even wood and whatever it may be, all of it has led to the destruction of something somewhere. And so just by cutting back on anything, anything in our lives will make a massive, massive difference. And if we collectively do that, we all can hopefully just cut back. But we we are yeah we are in dire straits at the moment because it's trying to get that message out there really. Definitely, mm. I think again it's it's platforms like yourselves and ours coming together and trying mm. to push it out further. You know this is a lot bigger than you know me and you and Mike and Danny. Um, yeah. You know David Attenborough can't do it on his own. No, I mean, no, no, and, no, no, and, no, and, and, and he's David I, Attenborough. I, another thing I've always said is that you can't have disease-free measles. 
and you can't tell the disease about the disease. Unfortunately, we are the disease. We are this yeah. thing that lives on this planet. And through no fault of our own, you know, at the end of the day, we're all nice people. We all just want to get on with our lives. But just by the nature of us being what we are, being uh, creative in our, sort of being destructive in our creativity almost, by us craving to do stuff, we do inadvertently damage other things. If we can just be a little bit more thoughtful with regards to the things that we do and think, do we actually need to be doing this today? Do I need to be buying that? Do I need to be drinking that? Do I need to be doing anything really? If we just all cut back on one little teeny thing, it will make such a mega difference to the world, but such a minuscule amount of change to our own lives. Yeah. Amen. I mean, at my long last granddad, Sir David Attebrett, has been mm. saying this for so long, and it seems like it's only been in the last few years that people are starting to listen to him. He was talking about this 50 years ago. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's frightening, yeah. isn't it? I think the problem is, as humans, we, we see things as... What's the name? Greta Thunberg said, her biggest quote is, our house is on fire. It's true, our house is on fire, but the problem is, is that we can only see it incredibly slowly. When you see a house on fire, it's obviously a rapid problem in front of you and you jump to, jump to arms and you do something about it. Our house has been on fire now for the best part of 100 years. So it's really, really slow for us to see it burning because it's so teeny, the effects. But gradually, of course, these effects are multiplying now and we're seeing more and more problems. I was, I was chatting, my, my biggest thought I've had recently, actually, is plastic again. And, and not just, um, you know, we've got to recycle plastic and we've got to stop, stop dumping it in the ocean and this, that and the other. Is that plastic as we speak 50,000 tons of raw plastic is still produced every year in America alone and it's from the oil industry 50,000 tons of plastic mm-hmm. brand new plastic is being produced yet if you look all around the world we've got millions of tons of it already sitting there which we yeah. could just recycle why on earth are we still making more of it we don't yeah. we've got a big enough problem already with what's out there why are we still producing 50,000 tons but Green. when i say, when, when I say exactly when i say we it's not mm-hmm. we at all it's the oil industry plastic mm-hmm. is a byproduct of the oil industry for many years the oil industry was kicking off and they had all these waste products that they couldn't do anything with then they invented plastic and suddenly they can sell their waste now they've got 50,000 tons of waste being produced a year that they're still selling out there and obviously well what goes around comes around the problems that we're dealing with right now with plastic turning up all over the place is not produced this year it's probably no. produced 20 or 30 years ago but you know in 50 years time it's oh goodness knows it's it's awful mm. situation awful situation doesn't bear thinking about does it no it does, it's only going to get worse that's it the problem we've got half... right now is right now's problem it's not yeah. it's not what we've dumped today it's what we dumped 20 years ago it's yeah. awful yeah. and half and half the issue is uh as you said just now, um, the the effects are so slow and you barely mm. see them. The problem is as well is is like you know for us us four you know everyone in this country we're not going to see ninety nine percent of the problems that that happen. We're never going to see them because no, they happen no. in other countries yeah. all around the world. If mm. if people could collectively see all the problems at once all over the world that these things are creating all the animals we're killing all the forests we're bringing down all the lakes we're destroying with plastic if we could see that all at once with our own eyes i think we'd really change i think you're um, absolutely right yeah, but it's I've one done. of them things when you're blind to something it doesn't matter yeah, I think, Danny, I think some... we might be seeing we might be seeing the effects of it now we just don't know you know yeah. cancer rates are going through the roof is this because we're ingesting a lot of plastic we don't know yet it'll probably come out in years to come yeah. well, it's like asbestos isn't it yeah. absolutely and you've been smoking, smoking and things yeah. like that 
definitely. Mm-hmm. I think as well, something for a personal thing for people to do at homes as well. It's just for one week. Every plastic bottle, every crisp wrapper, anything that you could possibly recycle that you would normally just put in the bin because you're lazy and you don't like using the bins, collect it, mm-hmm. put it, put it in a box. And see what you come up you know, with. And then yeah. at that week, see how much is there. Keep it there. Do another week. Do that for a couple of months and you'll be absolutely disgusted. Now, yeah. my, my work, we, we recycle plastic. a lot, but we keep a lot of the plastic because we can use it for other things. Yeah. And there is an absolute mound of the stuff. Yeah. Now, we use it. You know, It's not just like it wraps up a piece of furniture and then it's never used again. We do use it and use it and use it again. But we've started storing it in one particular area at the moment. And honest to God, like, it, it, it's, in, it's just insane. Mm. Yeah, totally. So I've, I've started doing as well when I go to or like go to a supermarket or you know wherever it may be to go shopping. I've found as opposed to going around with a shopping, you know, you got your shopping list of fruit and veg and bits and bobs that you need. I would only buy stuff now which is loose and has nothing to do with plastic. Mm-hmm. Even if I desperately need some carrots, if they're only selling bags of carrots, plastic bags of carrots, I won't buy it. I won't buy them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like the Waitrose diet. It's like it's like the supermarket is dictating to me. Try, for me, trying to use my morals with regards to avoiding plastics, mm-hmm. I find that I'm suddenly being dictated to by the supermarket what I'm not going to buy. And so I'll go in there with all good intentions of trying to make something for, say, like a roast dinner. And I'll come out with, well, I won't have a chicken because it comes in plastic bags. So today we've mm-hmm. got pork chops or something like that. Yeah. But suddenly I think it's the only way to start. And I, I might do a, a video about this. It's the only way to get the message across to these companies that are still using these products that I as a consumer don't want to buy. And I just say, right, even though I, I would like to have a roast chicken tomorrow for Sunday lunch, because you've only got them in plastic bags, I won't buy them from you now. So I won't give you my £10. Yeah. And yeah, if we all collectively did that, then it would force them to say, oh, hang on, we're losing mega profits here because no one's buying our chickens yeah. anymore. We better start sorting our packaging out. And that's yeah. the only thing, isn't it? Hitting someone in the pocket. Exactly. That's what gets the message yeah. across. People power, yeah, exactly. You know, Coca-Cola, yeah, Coca-Cola still do cans you know, 330 mil cans of Coke. We have plastic bottles of Coke everywhere. Now, okay, we can't be carrying around two litre cans of Coke because that's a bit ridiculous. However, we have monster cans, you know, with a 500 mil, 600 mil cans. Why not just have those instead of the plastic ones? The reason why people choose bottles over cans is because they can put the top back on. They have started doing seedable cans now, which is what they all should be doing. Right. Yeah, but again, we've, t- we've we've touched on that though that 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 boggles me because you've got you've got um, the alley cans with a plastic top. Yeah, but but so surely surely a little bit of plastic is better than the whole thing being plastic. It's a step in Absolutely, the right direction. Yeah, but it but it's also harder to recycle because they have to separate that. Yeah, we can also get bamboo. <laughs> bamboo cans <laughs> bamboo <laughs> bamboo toothbrushes bamboo lunchboxes I've got bamboo socks I think oh, an, unfo- an unfortunate thing as well with any of these situations you know we could come up with an amazing you know uh, metal can that does seal itself and things like that is, is the mass scale of production of these things when you come up with a successful solution for something um, particularly as everything's exported and stuff these days as well, is that the mass production of something, all of a sudden you can have a brilliant environmentally friendly product, but when you're suddenly producing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of these products, it starts to then have create another effect on something else then. Yeah. Because it yeah. might be environmentally friendly with regard to it not being plastic, but suddenly 
the I don't know the the metal production procedure might involve pumping out loads of sulfur or something yeah, into the, the atmosphere. And from, uh... because of the nature of us mass producing stuff again, because of our massive po world population, all of a sudden world commerce says that there's got to be millions of them, and that's going to cause a problem somewhere else. Then I've said and, I've always said this about um, uh, like electric cars. Mm, yeah, you know, and what what people don't realise is is Electricity needs to be produced too yeah. in massive power plants. Yeah. This is electric cars are not the future. No, <laughs> at all. You, you know. Even like lipo batteries, for example, the lithium batteries that go into electric cars. Yeah, they've mm -hmm. got an awful lot of power. They've got cobalt in them. Cobalt mm -hmm. comes from cobalt mines, and as mm -hmm. a result of cobalt mining in the tropics, it's destroying a lot of rainforest. Yeah. Because cobalt is a rare commodity. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, it's just like right, okay, making these batteries. In you know, you get lipo batteries and everything these days, lithium mm -hmm. batteries, and um, but they need cobalt, and uh, it's like the cobalt is really rare, and so suddenly it's like yeah, it's creating all these issues that we don't know about. We we're like yeah, great, aren't we great? We got our electric cars or electric toothbrushes or whatever. Yeah, but we're buggering up the forest on the other side of the no, world to get the cobalt. And no one ever tells you that. No. Those companies do not want to disclose that. No, whatsoever. no, because it's not 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 in their interest because no. all of a sudden they don't make their money anymore. And the problem as well is if you do come up with something that's totally environmentally friendly and we doesn't need petrol or it doesn't mm. need this, that and the other, all of a sudden the, 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 the amount of money that is pumped into, let's, let's take petrol or, mm. or, or, or oil or diesel, yeah? Yeah. yeah? If as soon as you take them out of play, there's that much money throughout the world gone into that, the whole world market would crash. Mm -hmm. literally yeah. would so so i think there's things out there that are not allowed out on the market because yeah. cold fusion ultimately well you yeah. hear about that with medicines and things don't you you know the, yeah. the manufacturers of medicines don't want to cure the common cold or flu because suddenly they're going to lose billions yeah well, it's, it's just it's like it's like the the, the like i said the, the cold fusion um engine runs mm. on water well, no one's going to profit from that, are they? No, no. So they won't. Not. So they won't. So they won't put it in the, into production. No, they're not going to. Which is absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. There's no, me. there's no business there, is there? No, there's no, there's no money to be made in no. in, in, in in water. Mm. You know, oh, well, no, uh, I mean, Evian, Evian would just disagree. Yeah. But <laughs> moving on to moving on to mindsets and that kind of thing as well. So mm. I remember a couple of years ago there was a lady in work, and I won't go to manufacturers and whatnot, but she was a vegan lady, mm. and she was looking at a particular, a particular product that didn't have any form of animal producing, so no wool, no cashmere, no, and I think kind of like that, and she wanted to look at synthetic, mat you know, mattresses and that kind of thing, and. Me and my big mouth I was like, well, synthetic. So you want something with plastic, or or latex is in, or okay, okay latex is technically a natural product which is refined, but you want something synthetic, something that's not an animal product, but that's going to have a, a negative impact on the environment, which then affects the animals that you love. So yeah. what's better to have the the mattress which has the sheep's wool or cashmere which has been taken without the animal suffering, yeah, or something which has been man-made, which has technically polluted the atmosphere, which in turn affects everyone and everything. Okay. And she just looked at me and was like, I don't know which one to buy now. I never thought of that and she, she, yeah. she, she ended walk, walking away with yeah. a 100% British wool mattress. Really? She wow. actually She actually went towards that. And once I showed her that that company actually raised their own sheep, they sheared their own sheep and they processed mm. the wool themselves and it wasn't coming from Asia or wherever and it was 100% yeah, yeah. British yeah. she's bought 
you know, and those options well, are still out there. But again, it's, edu- it's mindset. Her. That was brilliant. Yeah, yeah you yeah. That, that mindset. That, I'm vegan. I can't have animal products. Well, hang on a second. The alternative is killing your fucking animals. Yeah, yeah. They did it on Countryfile, didn't they? They did it on Countryfile exactly the same. I think one of the presenters got slated for wearing a, a bobble hat and they thought it was made of fur. Mm. So they actually did a piece on it saying, well, actually, if it is synthetic, it's got plastics in, which is having a negative impact on the environment. Yeah. Or if it's fur, it's taken from an animal. So exactly the same. When you, you know, when, you, when, when you have these conversations and you look at all these different avenues for being environmentally friendly, whether it be food or the way that you live or the way that you travel or this, that and the other, there is no solution to any of it. You know, and I think, so we'll, no, ultimately, yeah, we might as well just go and be cavemen. We might as well just go and live under a rock. Yeah, I think, I think Mr. Dave Clemens... Um, I think he got uh, hounded for having leathers, you know, being a vegan and having leathers because yeah. he rides a bike. And he turned around and was like, well, I've had these for numerous years before I was vegan, and I will have them until they're no longer fit for purpose. Yeah. And then I'll I'll reconsider what I buy next time. Yeah, but good man. He wasn't vegan. He didn't turn vegan and have an absolutely hissy fit and, oh, my mm. God, everything needs to go, because mm. that's a waste. Yeah, at the same time, you can't have a go at someone for one thing when the the alternative is actually just as bad. There's there's, there's got to be a happy medium. You can't you can't go around on a motorbike wearing fucking nothing. No, you know, so you've, you've got to have. Something. Well, you, well, you can. You can. Well, yeah, in, in, in Brighton, I've seen that. I've seen people. I'd rather Dave Clemens didn't, but you know. <laughs> It's like it's just it's just a lose lose, isn't it? Yeah. You, you can't you can't win. Only you can only try try your best to do your little part, you know. And as as Hoss just explained, you know, you know, think about the things you're buying. You know, sometimes saying, "Oh no, I don't want anything with animal product in it," isn't necessarily the best option. No. Um, you know. Yeah. Everything in moderation. Everything yeah, and, and it's being open-minded. you just got to be open-minded. And like we said earlier on about we're constantly learning from each other. Every mm-hmm. day is a school day. And like you, you might have an opinion today, and then tomorrow you will have your opinion changed. We're constantly flexing, and we must be tolerant and open to ideas. And as long as we keep doing that, then we'll hopefully collectively all grow together. And also, there's nothing wrong with being a caveman. No. I'm happy with, with, with being a nomad. Let's go. Well, yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've based my entire image on caveman, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> anyway, so that's an hour and 43 minutes, and um, so I'm getting conscious of the time. So, is well, there anything... Well done, you can talk. Cheers, chaps. <laughs> so, before... I, I, do it, I do it to a blank uh, camera quite often, so yeah. It's nice to have some company, is it? Uh, no worries, thank you. <laughs> right, so before we go, is there anything you want to ask Rob or whatnot? No, I think we've touched on loads things. and then even more. Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay, so Rob, just before I do all my spiel, how can people get in touch with you and how can people enjoy your content? Um, if you go onto Facebook or uh, YouTube or on Instagram and look up Rob's Wild Adventures. Rob's right. Wild Adventures and you'll see all of my videos. There's crumbs, there's 70, 75 of them now, I think. Nice. I've, still, I've still got a load more to cut. That's that's the other thing as well, is um, I shoot so many that I can't keep up with them at the minute in terms of actually pulling them together and putting them out there. So I'm trying to put out two a week, I'm trying to put them out on a Monday and a Friday. 
Um, sometimes there's more, sometimes they're less, depending upon how many things, other things I've got to do. But I'm just trying to regularly keep in contact with people and uh, by all means message me, please be nice. And because uh, I'm only ever doing it to benefit people, I'm not doing it for any other reason. So please be encouraging. Oh, just ignore the negativity. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. I know we've said before when you was on before, um, we've had people say to us, you know, I'd love your kids to to listen to the podcast, but it can be a bit fruity sometimes, mm. um, and that's just the way that we like it. But your stuff is absolutely fantastic for Thank all you. ages. Oh, perfectly um, child friendly. So, yeah, so, so um, everybody should go along and 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 give it a listen. Um, get your kids involved in it all because it is absolutely fantastic. Thank so, you. I'm doing what. what what, you'll, what you guys will see is just a 43-year-old child springing around doing exactly the same as when he was little. You are not. You do not look 33. I'm, I'm, I'm not the oldest on the podcast. <laughs> Dude, he, don't, he doesn't look 35, let alone 43. Oh, yeah. that, thanks, my voice will break soon. I might break you. <laughs> um, but, Rob, I mean, the, the, the reason some of your videos are amazing is you've got an amazing job that takes you all over the world, you know, um, involved in wildlife documentaries, natural history. Um, so some of your footage is, you know, that most people wouldn't be able to get. So... Oh, I can't, I can't emphasise enough how, how how good it is for Thank you. Uh, people should go along. Well, what I try and do is I, I obviously shoot when I'm abroad, but I shoot when I'm here as well because I, I want to give people a broad range of stuff, stuff that they can appreciate being in the sort of the, the dangerous wild, as it were, but also then being in the really interesting, amazing wild on your own doorstep as well. So everywhere you turn, doesn't matter where you are, you could be on a building site, you could be in a you know, a block of flats, you could be in the middle of a rainforest. If you look hard enough, you will be inspired by something somewhere. Yeah, it's dangerous in your back garden when you're a, when you're only a couple of centimetres big. Do you know what I mean? Oh, there, absolutely. There's there's nasty old spiders and centipedes which will pin, pinch you on the bum. They will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rob, as long as it's not earwigs, I'm good. Oh, don't start about the earwigs again. Or, or centipedes that go down your ears and up your nose. They I, don't, well. I, I don't like centipedes. Oh. Don't they? They're fine. Earwigs no, can get in the no. sea all day long. Oh man. Right. <laughs> right. Now, thanks for coming on. And Cheers, for Everyone who's listened, Rob, please stay there because we're going to irritate you a bit more after the show. Um, so for everyone who's listened, thank you for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure hanging out as usual. If you do want to help support the podcast, then please head on over to reptileandchill.com and you can look at our, some of our hoodies and T-shirts for sale. If you want to get involved with all the social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the handle Reptile and Chill. And we do urge you to join our community group on Facebook. It's a really good group. There's loads of really, really friendly people. I don't think rob's on there yet i'm gonna add him in straight after this um and we can you know you can talk share ideas see each other's animals find recipes for random indian sauces and other bits and pieces <laughs> so if you do want to join that if you type in reptile and chill community group on facebook click join and we'll accept you in and that is about it please join us next week on thursday at 7 p.m for our live stream and again another podcast monday morning 7 a.m until then guys Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Rob, love you. Love you too, baby. Oh, yeah, baby, yeah. Yeah, baby.